If you've bought property, you likely funded your purchase partly through a mortgage. If the property increases in value over time by more than the cost of the borrowing, you're better off. In the stock market, using debt is often called gearing. The new BetaShares Wealth Builder Funds, ASX ticker symbols G200 and GHHF, offer moderate gearing across Australian and global shares for investors who are comfortable with the higher risks associated with gearing their investments. You can discover how they work by visiting betashares.com.au. Please don't forget that gearing magnifies gains and losses, so read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. This is a podcast by the Rask Group. It's for educational purposes only. So please do not make a financial, legal, investment or taxation decision based on solely what you hear in this show. Welcome to the Australian Property Podcast. We're on a mission to be Australia's most trusted property podcast. I'm Owen Rask, founder of the Rask Group. I'm Pete Wardgen, author and buyer's agent. I'm Amy Lenardi, and I am a buyer's agent. I'm Chris Bates, ex-financial planner and mortgage broker. Together, we'll take you through every step of your property journey. From first home buyer to decades of property investing. Welcome to this very special episode. Uh, this podcast recording is a very, very unique one for me. Probably the most unique that I've ever recorded because I get to interview my long-running co-host, Kate Campbell. How are you going? I'm doing well, Owen. It is, it's been quite a while that we've been running the show together. It has been indeed. And uh, it, it occurred to me that I've never in- interviewed you. And so I have a heap of questions that I want to get to. And this is all, well, not all, but partly because you've written a book, Buying Happiness. Uh, It's out now. You can get it in Booktopia, Amazon, wherever you get your books. There'll be links in the show notes. Even the airport. Even the airport that we have seen a few photos across social media. Been some sightings in the wild at WH Smith at the airports. Taking some photos and sending uh, you a a copy of your own book, a virtual copy, which is great. Um, So... We're going to talk about buying happiness generally. We're going to talk about how to use money to maybe increase happiness, some of the the myths and research around this topic. And this applies to anyone, whether you're getting started in investing or whether, for example, you're well into your journey, maybe you want to educate others or connect with other people. But to kick things off, Kate, what I usually do over on the Australian Investors Podcast is I do ask a few icebreaker questions. First one. If you had to guess, which of these will be a bigger part of your portfolio in 10 years' time? Property, direct shares, ETFs, or managed funds. So we're not going for recommendations here, but just I'm just curious about the way you think about investing. Not intentionally, but I think in 10 years, it'll probably still be property, just because I purchased my first place last year and it did suck up a lot of my spare cash. Yeah. Like basically, everything went into the property, and so I've become through that one primary residence, very property heavy. And I can see that probably not changing so much over the next 10 years as I start to build more wealth outside of property. But between mm-hmm. super and other assets, it'll probably take over 10 years for that to outpace my investment in my home. Okay, great. Good answer. Second one is if you could have one superpower, what would it be and why? 
Probably the ability to teleport. I'd love to just be able to travel around the world without having to get on an aircraft. So like you could just imagine you, you're in Venice right now and you just appear there right, right at this very moment. Bam. Imagine the opportunities that would open up. Yeah, cool. That's one I've never heard anyone say when I've asked that question. Number three, I know you're a big, big reader, one of the biggest readers that I know, not just finance, but all types of things like fantasy as well. J.K. Rowling or Sarah J. Mass as a better writer? Recency bias is probably playing in here, but I would say Sarah J. Mass. She mm. is an amazing author. If you like fantasy books, she has some fantastic series there. I, I mean, Harry Potter was stuff I read when I was younger, and I haven't read it probably again in the last 10 years. So I would say Sarah J. Mass just because I love her work so much, and it is very big on the world building side of things. It's less set in reality, whereas Harry Potter has much more of a tie to our current world. Yeah, fair enough. I uh, I know this because, and it's a bit of an inside baseball joke, but I know how much you uh, love reading fantasy novels because you told us in the past that you actually started writing one of your own. Um, so this book, Buying Happiness, which is on finance, may come as a surprise to people that know Kate, but um, I guess... Uh, we'll get to why you chose to write on this topic in a moment, but that's a bit of uh, context for folks and where that question comes from. I mean, when people ask you what genre of books you like reading, saying finance and fantasy is a bit of a weird combo. It I is. don't know if I can combine them, but uh, mm. I know Mel Brown managed to combine the two in her books. Did she? Yeah, she wrote a few books that combined fairy tales and money stories together. Ah, Mel Brown, friend of the show um, from Sydney, fantastic author and speaker, former financial advisor. So- People will have listened to you for many, many, many years. Millions of downloads later, I'm asking this question. For those of you that don't know you or know about you and what you do, other than writing a book, Buying Happiness, what do you do at RASC? Oh, quite a few things, Owen. Um, big thing is the Australian Finance Podcast. So mm -hmm. make sure there's some great episodes coming out every week for people covering everything from the psychology of money, to getting your will sorted out, sorting out your superannuation, helping people build their first ETF portfolio, reduce their living costs, just mm -hmm. get on top of life really. So uh, anything that's interesting that's somewhat to do with how we can use our money and our time better is what we cover on the finance podcast. So I mm. spent a lot of time there researching, finding new episodes and guest ideas, putting the episodes together, recording them, publishing them. So mm -hmm. that's quite a bit of the week. Uh, and also do a bit of work on our RASC education side. So if listeners aren't familiar, we've got a whole other website with about 22, 23,000 students and we have lots of free courses. So if you're wanting to upskill in anything from sorting out your superannuation mm -hmm. to building wealth to buying your first home, we've got some great free courses there. So I help put that together as well. Mm, cool. Um, what's the best bit and worst bit? Hmm. I love having interesting conversations with people that I probably wouldn't get to have a conversation with otherwise. I think podcasting is a great way where I can have a conversation, but have it at scale where if I learn some really interesting things from a guest, I can also share them with 20 or 30,000 other people as well. So we all get to benefit mm. from that knowledge. I'd say the most challenging thing, having worked in large companies, medium company and small company, is that at a smaller company with a small team, mm -hmm. you end up doing a bit of everything, which is fantastic when you're learning, but it's probably got the flip side where you can't mm. really 
uh, learn from everyone else as much. Where if, if you're at a big company and you're really interested in technology or law or marketing, you could go and learn more and take on some more responsibility from those different departments. But at a small company, mm. everyone's doing a bit of everything. And so that it's a bit harder to develop as much subject matter expertise and you need to find mentors and training outside of the business. Yeah, that's that's fair enough. Well said. So we are a very small team here at Rask. So that's fair enough. Um, well put. Um, so another question about you before we get to the book and buying happiness generally is you've spoken about this in at events in the past and a little bit on the podcast, but not too much. But for folks that don't know, we met on Twitter slash X, whatever you want to call it these days. And that's kind of where the idea for the podcast came from and, and what have you. But let's go back a bit further than that for you. How did you get to finance? So like, what was your upbringing? How did that, who influenced you? How did they influence you? Life lessons, et cetera. How did you get to finance in the first place? Quite a random path, but I was absolutely not interested in finance, law, compliance, regulation, any of that in high school. I thought that world was boring. Mm -hmm. Um, I did not quite (laughs) realise that there was a lot of interesting roles and opportunities in that space. But um, I did army cadets throughout the whole of high school and absolutely loved that. And so for some reason, I decided to join the Air Force. And so left home at 17, uh, went to do officer training school in sale in Gippsland, Victoria. That mm-hmm. was a very challenging five months, but a fantastic five months. And then I did nine months of air traffic control school. Mm-hmm. And uh, th- it was an experience. I wouldn't repeat it, I don't think. But I did I did learn to fail, fail and get up again, because every week there was exams, there was assessments. You were doing things in public. You were failing in public. Your results were put up in mm. public for everyone to see. And then you had to pull yourself together and do it again the next week. And so I think that was a very early experience of learning things, maybe not being great, but then giving it a shot again the next next mm. week. And though it didn't end up working out, um, I did end up in finance completely by accident when I moved back to Melbourne because I was just hitting the easy apply button on LinkedIn. <laughs> um, I didn't really know which direction I wanted to go on. Um, but I was looking for entry-level roles. And so I ended up at an invoice finance startup, just mm. completely by accident. But I turns out I, I can interview okay. And so I <laughs> uh, did a, a bit of a fake it till you make it situation there. Wikipedia, all I could find out about invoice finance. And so mm-hmm. managed to get through the interviews there. And suddenly I was thrown into working in Collins Street in Melbourne, the fast-paced world of invoice finance, looking for fraud in invoices, dealing with clients, dealing with people and challenging problems just without having any experience yeah. in that space. So it forced me to learn really quickly. And it was at that point that I started to go, okay, there's a lot of money going around in the world. What are people doing with their finances? Someone I was sitting next to was very interested in investing and started sharing little tidbits of information. And then I started asking questions and then it slowly snowballed from there. Mm. It's Now that I hear you talk about it, it's actually really interesting because a lot of people don't know that you are in your 20s, um, which is remarkable considering you've done so much professionally and also in life generally. But one thing that people will know about you if they know you personally is your kind of like go get them attitude. 
you don't like let things hold you back. And I was going to ask, based on your experience in the Air Force, like what do you think you took away from that? But it makes a lot of sense that failing publicly is something that you kind of just take in your stride now. And like doing this podcast, at, uh, particularly in your early 20s, like very early 20s when we started, and then, you know, doing that in public, putting yourself out there being vulnerable, especially being a female in the finance industry, that takes a lot of guts, I guess. I don't think I thought it through to that level. When I when I started my very first podcast, How To Money, back in 2017, once I started learning a bit for myself and realising there wasn't many resources available in 2017. It was before podcasts, YouTube, blogs, Instagram mm. really blew up with financial education. And so I just wanted to have conversations I could share with my friends and family. I didn't do any marketing. Mm. I wasn't trying to make it a business. It was just something I did for fun on the side. And I, I didn't think it through 100 steps. I really just got mm. a microphone from JB Hi-Fi, my $150 blue Yeti microphone that uh, only got retired just yes, last just year. Yes, just recently. We told, you it, told it, has me. To, it has to go. <laughs> and I, I just started having a go. I didn't, yeah, I didn't think 10 steps ahead. I'm, I'm quite good and I think that's helped me and probably has pros and cons if just making a decision and running with it and then iterating as I go. I didn't think 10 steps ahead. I just gave it a shot. And that mindset's really helped me with investing as well because I know a lot of our community have challenges with analysis paralysis and deciding, well, what brokerage account am I going to use? What is my first investment? But the mindset I had, which I think was just from taking risks throughout my childhood and my parents pushing me in that space, was just give it a go. The worst that can happen is you just close it down. Maybe you wasted $150, but you learned a lot in the process. Did they do anything, your parents in particular, to give you that confidence to fail? Like, was there, Can you recall any examples of that? I was always in a household that encouraged making mistakes, giving it a go. And one example when I was writing the book that came to mind, which it stands out a lot more now, I at the time it was just another part of my childhood, but I really wanted to have singing lessons. Mm -hmm. And my mum said to me, because I'm someone that goes, oh, this could be nice. Oh, I want to do this. So she said to me, well, if you really want to do it, prove it. And so how I proved it at about 10 years old was signing up to the local Rocker Stedford competition at Christmas time, getting up on stage and singing an acapella version of Wouldn't It Be Lovely. Hmm. Now, I don't think I sounded great, um, but it proved that I was really serious about having singing lessons. And so my parents followed through with that and allowed me to have singing lessons. And that was a great experience as well. But there's been many times that if I put the work in and signed up to something, did all the research, then my parents said they'd support me with that. So um, it was very much like I drove the the thing and then they would get behind me and support me, which was fantastic. So if you earned it, there was a reward at the end, basically. Yeah. Like well, it was more that they wouldn't push me to do a particular hobby or an activity. But if I showed them that I really wanted to do it and I'd done the research, then they would get behind support that. It. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, cool. That's such a great way. And one of the things I think Scott Pape in the Barefoot for Kids books talks a lot about this is like letting kids earn what they what they keep. Yeah. And I think that's that's really important. It's huge to have parents that 
that support you if you do during mm. your childhood and get around it, even if they think it probably won't work out. Like my mum says now that she didn't think I'd be the greatest air traffic controller because I am terrible with directions. If anyone knows me personally, I've probably got you lost before. <laughs> I am trying to get better because I'm trying to reframe that that narrative. I don't want to keep saying to myself I'm terrible with directions because then, well, I just keep believing that. So I'm trying to yeah. be someone who is better and gets my feet around figures out where I'm going. But um, spatial awareness, also a challenge with me. I do walk into things quite a bit. But uh, <laughs> she didn't tell me any of this at the time. She was fully supportive. I was able to go and make those mistakes myself. It's good not to have someone talk you out of things all the time. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I. it's nothing more frustrating for me. And sorry to all the parents in the room. It's nothing more frustrating to me when a child has an idea and the parents are quick to find the problems with that. Like, they say, say something ridiculous, like, oh, I want a motorbike. And you're like, well, that costs a bit of money. Well, that's like straight to the, the negative, not yeah. to the affirmative. Like it's, and you constantly instill those values in a child. Eventually, they'll just eventually find the flaws in every single thing that they look at. Um, and so I definitely had two parents like from either side of that yeah. spectrum. So uh, I got to see the, the, the pros and the cons of both, the kind of pragmatist, mm -hmm. but also the optimist. Um, but I'm curious then, like based on your, because you talk a bit about this in the book, is like identifying, quote unquote, the money story and what people, um, like the the values that people take with them through life, whether they learned that as a child or as a younger adult or whatever, at any stage of their life. I'm curious what those money stories were for you or just those life stories, like those values that you had from a child that you've applied later in life where you can now look back and think about it. Um, like, are there any that come to mind? Taking risks is a big one because that's I can see that narrative play out through my whole life. And when it's come to trying to work at a new company or start the podcast or mm. um, meet new friends or try a new activity, it's become a lot easier just to do the thing because if it doesn't work out, that's okay. Mm. Mm. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any other strong narratives. I mean... The, the work ethic's an interesting one. I think at the start of my 20s, I was probably a lot more hustly and I just I was studying full-time, working full-time, mm, doing the podcast, trying to do a million and one things and really trying to get ahead. But now, it's, I don't know if it's too early to have this realisation because I'm only in my mid-20s, but I'm, I'm kind of pulling back and going, okay, well, what's really important to me? How do I want to spend my time? Yep. Studying is important to me right now, so I know that's going to mean I'll sacrifice a few things uh, in my life, maybe a little bit less time for social activities on the weekend, but how can I still not balance but sort of rearrange my priorities so I still get to have those experiences in my 20s to go on those adventures, but also to put the steps in for my career in the future. Mm. You chose to write a book uh, called Buying Happiness, Learn to Invest Your Time and Money Better. There it is for anyone watching on the camera. Um, why did you choose to write it on this topic in particular? There's so much that we get stuck in the weeds with about when it comes to our money and our finances and our career. And often we can forget why we're really doing it. Mm. And most of us ultimately want to be happy with the life we're living. We want to have good relationships with our friends and family. We want to feel fulfilled. We want meaning. We want enough in the bank that we're not stressing about if we're going to pay the bills. And so 
I think it's really important that even though we're focusing on building our portfolios, we're building wealth, we're sorting out our superannuation, we're getting all those building blocks into place, we still think about the bigger picture of what we're building towards. And I think it's really important to, that's why it's, even if it's not goals, having some sort of vision and why behind why you're building wealth. And everyone has different reasons. And I think that discussion is really interesting as well if what money means for you. And for some people, it's security. And that might thread back into their money story growing up where mm. money was a source of stress. And so today, having money in the bank account, building wealth gives them that security. And for other people, it's choices and freedom. And other people, it is having more time to spend with family. And there's so many interesting threads over the past sort of seven years of podcasting that I've had conversations with guests about that we've explored on mm. episodes of the finance podcast. And I just wanted to pull them all together to put a sort of a idea together in this book that money isn't just about the spreadsheet and it isn't just about our portfolio. There's more to it than that. It's a tool that we can use to build the life we love. And how can we think of it slightly differently um, to help improve our life? It's, it's so interesting because I, I do appreciate you saying, you know, you take that overarching view of things like uh, we get a lot of people, whether they're on the Australian property podcast and they listen to property uh, insights and they want to build wealth that way or if they're starting a business over on the Australian business podcast or if they're investing in the stock market if they're just trying to sort out their budget it really doesn't matter what they do or where they come from we're all kind of unique in that way but one thing that we all have is somewhere we probably want to be or something we want to do each day so I, the, the 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 mystery of this Kate comes in though that people know that they should be investing people know they should be saving money like these are pretty general principles but the thing that they really struggle with is actually being like, well, I'm investing because, like that start with why, you know? Yeah. Um, how do people get to the why? Like how do they find out why they're doing this thing? For many of us, it's getting back to the drawing board and thinking about what's important to you in your life. And it might be your family right now. It might be your career. It might be your friends. And figuring out just like a list of all of those important things in your life and also thinking ahead a little bit because that will change over the next decade. And while just socializing and enjoying every moment might be really important to you now, and that might mean you want to spend everything you've got on travel and experiences, thinking ahead just a little bit, not enough that you're living in the future, but enough that you can go, okay, in 10 years' time, this is important to me, but I also might want to spend more time with my family. I might not want to work as hard. How can I put some things in place now without sacrificing all of that stuff I want to experience today to look after future me? And I think it's it's really the kind thing to do for your future self of how can I put some steps into place, whether it's by starting to invest, by paying off debt, sorting out my super, putting a will in place. These small changes you can do will add up. They don't mean you have to sacrifice everything now, but they mean that in 10 years' time, when maybe you have different priorities and different things are important to you, you've got the resources mm. available to help you. Mm. I like that idea of being kind to your future self. Um, I've heard it said that uh, it's that like you, you rarely meet a person on their deathbed who says, I was too kind, <laughs> you know? Um, they, were, they always say like, the kind person always, you know, dies with friends. And I think that's really important. I guess 
day to day though, like how in the book you talk about this, you you do have a f- quite a few sections where you talk about knowing yourself, but also identifying with that future value uh, and what you want that world to look like for you. I've got a question for you. What does your ideal day look like? I mean, we've talked about this a little bit on the finance podcast in our vision board exercise we did January this year, but I think really my ideal day is quite close currently to what I'd want it to be. And I think that's a good thing because we've talked about that idea of writing out what your current Tuesday and your Saturday looks like, and Mm. then also writing out, well, what would you like it to look like? And how can you more closely align those two days together? Because often there's some small changes you can make that are more accessible than you might realize to more closely align the things you're doing right now and the person you want to be. So for me, that might look like waking up, having a cup of tea, going for a walk so I have movement at the start of the day, speaking to some friends and family, working in a job that I find meaning and purpose in, and then learning something in the evening, having time to read and cook dinner. Mm. And so if I look at that, well, that's quite close to what my day is already. Mm. And so I maybe don't have that many changes to make. But if I had something like in the morning, I want to go straight to work and then work until 2pm and then I have the rest of the afternoon free. Well, are there any ways that I can change how I'm currently working to more closely align that? Mm. I think a lot of people think of like, if they think about what money does for them as a form of happiness, is like they think, well, I'll just get heaps of money and then I'll just go and live in Monaco and do nothing. And I think a lot of people think that that is what you might mean when you say buying happiness. Like it's like, I'll just get heaps and then decide what I'm going to do with it. Um well, what do you think's wrong, right or wrong with that? <laughs> I've met plenty of people with heaps of money, Owen, and they're still not happy or they're still working because they don't know what exists outside of that world for them. And so while I don't think you can just walk up to the supermarket and buy happiness uh, in <laughs> aisle two, there's a lot of small changes we can make today without earning any more money to improve our life. And that's sort of thinking about, well, how are we spending our time and money right now? And really looking at our spending over the past few months and going, does that align with the person I want to be? Am I spending heaps on fast food takeaway when I really value health and happiness and spending time with my family cooking meals together? So that could be, you're not going to be spending any more money. In fact, you might save some money, but can you reduce your spending in the eating out category and start having more dinner parties with friends where everyone brings a dish, Mm. having more coffees and walks around your local area with your friends and family that aren't that costly, but they still give you that experience. Mm. It's kind of like start with the end in mind. Like, what do you want? Where do you want to be? And what would that look like? And I know we've talked on the show about figuring out, well, you might want that thing. It's not really available right now. Like, I think you talked about your traveling to what Mount Everest or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, (laughs) It sounded terrifying, but it's working out what are the elements of that experience that excite you, that make you want to work towards that goal? And is there a way you can take those elements and do them in a more accessible way right now or a way that fits your lifestyle right now or fits your resources because we don't have the time and money to do everything we want right now. And Mm. so we might want that experience of travel but or expedition or a challenge of getting to the Mm. top, but you can probably find something locally in Australia 
to still give you that experience. Yeah, yeah, Kosciuszko is pretty tall. Um, <laughs> pretty good go there. Um, so, I asked you in preparation for today's chat, uh, just briefly. I mentioned if you could tell us some of the things that you've learned in studying the relationship between money and people's happiness, and maybe bring a few of those to the table to help maybe people incrementally improve or think about at least their happiness? Because I guess maybe we'll start with this, Kate. Yeah. Is it possible to buy happiness? Not from a store, but okay. you can use your money to increase your happiness. Okay. So what are some of the ways people can do that? Yeah. So one of the ways that I found in the research is the idea of anticipation and adding that into your experiences and your purchases. Now, all of the modern media and walking past shops on the street is going to tell you to buy the thing right now. Mm. But it turns out if we add a bit of time between when we want something and we when we get to make that purchase or have that experience, we're going to be a bit happier for it. So when it comes to purchasing, how can you start? If you want to buy a new laptop, mm. say, give yourself a six month runway mm. to save up for it. So you get to visualize getting that new laptop instead of having that instant gratification that's going to wear off very quickly and you're suddenly going to realize, oh, you need to pay for it. Mm. And so things like buy now, pay later, take that experience away from us because we get the item now and we have to pay for it over time. Whereas if we book the holiday six months out or we save up over six months for the holiday, we get to anticipate the holiday. We get to ask friends and family for recommendations. We get mm. to visualize and look at Google Maps and find awesome places to go and eat. And so we get a huge happiness boost in the lead up. We get the experience. And then we also get all of the memories and we get to come back from the trip and talk to our friends and family about all the cool places we went to, get to show the photos. And then even in five years' time, we get to relive that experience as well. So there's a lot of benefits as well. That ties into experiences. There's a lot more value to having experiences over material items. Of course, some can mm. be both, like my favorite book. I would say that's that's a full experience as mm. well as yeah. a purchase. And I can go and read it again and again and talk to other fans of Sarah J. Mask books about it. So it's just thinking small ways that you can change the way you spend money today to increase your happiness. Mm. Was there anything that you came across? That's fascinating, by the way. Um, I love that one. It, was there anything that you came across that would probably take the opposite approach, like people believing that there's something that does get them happiness, but maybe doesn't? In fact, was there anything that you can think of there? A lot of us think that it's the success, having lots of money in our bank account, having lots of followers, having the fancy car that make us happy. But it turns out one of the really interesting studies showed that it's actually the quality of our relationships that makes us happiest right. over time. And I got really into the research done by this Harvard adult development study that's been running for over 80 years now, over 1,500 participants and their children and their grandchildren. Hmm. And they've tracked the lives of all these people and they've found that it's the quality of their relationships that determine their happiness long term. And that's something where it's not quantity. It's not having lots of people in your life. It's having a few good people that you know you can call on in the good times and the bad times. And it's quite interesting, though, because we often don't prioritize relationships in our lives. Uh, I don't know about you, but mm. when I've set goals in the past or when I've written my to-do lists or my priorities, the people that are really important to me aren't usually at the top of the list. It's usually career and I want to get my house. portfolio to this point <laughs> yeah. and I want to write this or try this new thing or finish this course. But I don't often say, 
this month I really want to prioritize spending more time with my family and my close mm. friends and investing time in making new friends and building those connections. And so often we neglect that in our wealth building journey and our career building journey, whereas it's actually the thing that's going to bring us a lot of happiness long term. That's like a body blow to me. I was just thinking as you're saying that, like um, those relationships, I don't think I've ever put them at the top of my list, like to-do lists. Like uh, maybe, for example, with this work, like you wake up, you when you go to bed that night, you set your to-do list. Like I'm a big fan of journaling, um, thanks to you as well in part. <laughs> but um, I'm a big fan of journaling because it does build the anticipation for the next day. Even if I just say, I'm looking forward to the coffee the next day or this worked well today or just get the stress off my mind. But one of those things could be make X, Y, Z person feel good or make them laugh. That might be one thing. Yeah. And it's often, yeah, we leave it to the bottom and we leave our relationship with ourself as well often to the bottom of the list. We're focused on so many external things and mm. we don't often think, how am I being proactive about investing in myself, my physical health, my mental health? How am I interacting and showing up in the world? And that's something that we often don't think about until it's too late. And mm. that's often one of the regrets people have is they didn't spend more time looking after themselves proactively and they didn't spend more time investing in relationships proactively. And I think as we think about investing in shares, ETS property, we should also think about how we're investing in ourselves and our relationships. I think that's just as important at the end of the day. Oh, yeah. I don't think I ever told you this, but I had um, a realisation a few years ago. I was like, I invest all this money every year. I should probably spend some of this on like self-care. So mm -hmm. like psychologist, counsellor, massages, um, these types of things. A lot of people don't put that in their budget, I find, including myself. Like I, I've got like, say, spend this much, household expenses this much, holiday this much, investing this much, but then there's nothing there that's like for me, you know, like for, yeah. for, for future me, for current me. I feel like that's a really simple way that people could really think about how much do I actually pay for my self. Because we often don't spend that money until something goes wrong. Yeah, it's like Whereas, doctor's bills or something yeah, like that, yeah. I'm a big, like for example, when I started running two years ago, I went to the physio proactively to say, what are some exercises I can do to strengthen the appropriate muscles so I don't injure myself while running? And the physio was like, huh, that's so weird. No one ever comes proactively. <laughs> Everyone comes once they've injured themselves running and trying to run a half marathon. Whereas going proactively, I ended up not injuring myself. And that, while that saved me a lot of time, it also saved me a lot of money. Mm. That's such a good thing. I'm now injured and trying to run a half marathon in the next few weeks. So, <laughs> good oh, note to future self. <laughs> I'm doing what you shouldn't do. Yeah. Run while injured. Yeah. Um, okay. So, one of the things that you did for the book, Buying Happiness, and I might just say all the things that Kate's talked about so far, they're actually either in the book or in the resources that go with the book, which you can access uh, on the website, buyinghappiness.com.au. So, if you think like, I don't know how to implement these things in practice, there are resources for you either in the book or go to the website um, and you'll see the companion stuff there. But one of the things you did is you surveyed the, the RAS community to help build like robustness around what you put in the book. Can you talk to us about what you did and what you found? Absolutely. So I didn't want it just to be my own experiences because that's very sort of siloed. That's just my perspective of the world. So I ran a survey with our community, and if you're listening, you may have been part of that, and mm. if so, thank you, asking about what are some of the things they spent money on recently that added value to their life. And I asked in slightly different categories. I wanted an experience, mm -hmm. and I wanted a material item. 
And then I also ask what they've spent time on recently that's added value to their life, Mm -hmm. what they've spent money on for someone else that's given them the biggest happiness boost, and also the lowest cost but highest impact happiness boost. And uh, my favourite answer there was a a serve of hot chips, which uh, (laughs) definitely works on me Close to your heart. Yeah, hot chips. It was just fascinating to see everyone's experiences. And if you go to buyinghappiness.com.au, I've got the Excel access so you can look at all of these examples as well and just get some ideas because I think crowdsourcing all of this, especially if you haven't thought too much before about what you could spend your money on to add value to your life, there's hundreds of examples there from other people and what's worked for them. And so Mm. that might give you some inspiration. But it was also quite funny reading through the responses that coffee featured a lot Mm. because I know (laughs) there's a lot of that. uh, If you don't spend the latte, the money on the latte every day, you'll be able to buy a house, which we, we know is not true. Sure, those small expenses do add up. So if you're spending on 20 different small things a day every single day. Well, that might impact your ability to save and invest. Mm. But it's often the small things that add a lot of joy and value to our life. And so whether it was a buying a coffee machine to make coffee in the morning with their partner and have that time to chat and connect, mm-hmm. that featured a lot. It was going and getting a takeaway coffee, walking around the park with a friend. It was having friends and family over for coffee, or getting a coffee with colleagues um, during your lunch break. So it was, it it was coffee, but it was coffee with connection that mm. came up a lot. Cool. Um, but I can I've got some examples at the back of the book, mm. um, so I can read a couple out, and then also you can look at all. I think there's over two hundred and fifty as well. Cool. Um, but in terms of material purchases that made you happy, someone said a hydro flask. It's the best investment I've made instead hydro of flask. wasting my money on bottles of water every time I go out. <laughs> I like it. For someone else, it's extra money to have all the gro- groceries and fruit and veggie delivered. Game changer for a working mum of three children. Saves time and stress. And someone else said a trampoline for their two-year-old daughter for her birthday. We spend hours on it together each week and have so much fun. Hmm. So many good ones in here. Buying a dog, a dinner, like a Friday night dinner with friends, uh, enrolling my son in swimming lessons. There's so many of these things. So they're so practical as well. I've got a question for you on the book then. Who did you write the book for? Like, did you did you envisage writing it for someone or a group of people? Or did you just do it because it's something that you were purely interested in, which is fine too? Definitely something I was interested in. Everything I've done on the podcast since 2017 is something that I can share with friends and family and just spark conversation. I want to provide resources and tools and conversation that are going to add value to people's life. And that was what I did with the book. I just small little actionable snippets that I can share with my friends and my family. And it's been it's been a massive joy actually sharing the book with my family and dropping off a copy yeah. through my parents. They've been the, uh, the messengers recently to everyone that's just played a small role in the development of who I am today and how I show up in the world. And also, sort of giving back to our community because so much of what we've heard, whether it's talking Mm. to people in person at our events or the messages we've got over the years, has shaped the way the podcast has evolved and the topics we've covered, the guests we've spoken to. So a little bit of that as well. Yeah, that's great. And I think anyone can learn something from the book. Um, Like I said, it, it doesn't really matter, right? It doesn't really matter if you're at the beginning or the end of your journey, so to speak. But so many people could pick up the book and learn something and try and curate their world 
to maximize their happiness, at least get closer and closer to that. Yeah, and books sort of play different roles at different times for people. I know we've yeah, given true. a lot of books to people for free over the years and that book might just change someone's life ultimately, like The Barefoot Investor, mm. sitting on the coffee table, someone flicking through has changed many people's lives and the way they think about things. And I've seen that happen with friends and family with so many other books. So even if it just sparks, a com- if the cover sparks a conversation of how you're spending your time and money with your friends, like that, it's doing its job. Mm, for sure. Uh, okay, two final questions from me, Kate. One is where can people go to get the book? That's the easy one. Well, you can go to Amazon Booktopia. If you want links to make it even easier, just head to the show notes. Um, and if you're in an airport, you might find a WH Smith or Dimmicks. Mm, great. It's actually a, just in case anyone is not watching, uh, it's a blue book with some yellow on it as well. It's buying happiness at the top. You know, it's not that hard to miss. You know, you would. Uh, there's a lot of great books, but this one in particular is what you want. Um, and it's not a heavy book. You could take it on your holiday over the summer. Absolutely good. It's actually very easy to read, Kate. I will say that. So, uh, well done. And um, please, you can support Kate, but also you can get it for a friend or a family member if you think that they are kind of like rudderless in this kind of, you know, march towards whatever goal they're going for, whether it's financial independence trying to understand themselves a bit better, trying to move towards a, a life that they really want for themselves, but they just yeah. don't know how to get there. It's as jargon-free as I could make it. And it's also not Investopedia. So it doesn't just it's not just a glossary of every possible mm. investing term. I was quite directional with it just to give people enough to take the first step, but not everything. So if you want to learn how to mm. buy a property or buy individual and research individual shares. Well, it's probably not the book, but there's a lot of tools for that. It's just a book that gives you enough to get started in each area, I'd say. Mm, like it. Final question is like, if you could leave one thing with everyone that's listening to this today, one thing that they could take away, maybe they could implement now, we're thinking about trying to be more, I guess, intentional with our lives, trying to move towards this thing called happiness. What could they do? Start thinking about your money and your time as a, as a resource and not thinking it of something inherently good or bad or something you don't have enough of or have too much of, though most of us probably don't mm. think that. But think of it as a resource. And when you look at your calendar this week over the next seven days, how do you want to allocate that resource? It's finite. We only get paid so much. We only have so much time in a week. But how can you allocate that time to be the better version of you. So even if it's just one small change you make this week, like you've always been saying you wanted to start learning French, well, how can you put one hour aside for that this week? You've always wanted to go to this restaurant for dinner. Well, what kind of changes can you make in your budget so you can spend some money on that area this week? So just looking at your calendar and looking at your budget and your bank balance and thinking, how can I use these resources to improve my life and to use them intentionally on the things that make me happy and just make one change and see how you go from there. Love it. Well, Kate Campbell, author of Buying Happiness, it's been my absolute pleasure to interview you on this podcast. And for anyone listening, you can get a copy of the book by going to the link in your podcast player. If you're watching on YouTube, just head to the description. There is a link there. Um, Thank you so much for sharing this with the world and thank you so much for everything you do for the RAS community. Uh, it's wonderful. You've achieved so much. We can't wait to see what happens next. But um, once again, thanks for taking the time. No worries. It was great to chat on. Thanks for tuning into the Australian Property Podcast. 
If you love the show, why not subscribe or leave us a review on Apple or Spotify? And if you want to work with me, Amy, Pete or Chris, you'll find links in your podcast player to get in contact with us. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Australian Property Podcast. We're huge advocates of getting the right advice at the right time from the right people. That's why it's important to understand that this podcast episode contained general financial information only. It is not designed to be specific or personalized to your financial, tax or legal situation. With property, the check sizes are pretty big, so it's important you get advice from a licensed and trusted professional before acting on the information you hear in RAS podcasts. Thanks again for listening. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.